Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we please open them up to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That's Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. It says the following. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of uh, the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it and, and to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Let us pray. Father, we have been singing songs of devotion to you this morning. Our hearts have uh, been opened to you, and we pray that it will be no different now as we hear your words. That as your word is preached, we pray, Lord, that your words will go forward and achieve its purpose. That, Lord, there would be a deep desire within our hearts to know you, to love you, to serve you, to honor you with our lives. And, Lord, I pray that as we uh, go through the sermon this morning, that we would just have a deep trust in you in the midst of all that life can throw at us, that we would have a certainty within our hearts that you are for us and that you are good to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. So for those of you who weren't here last week, um, just a bit of a reminder, what happens is Jonah is given a commission by God to go and warn the people of Nineveh that if they do not repent and turn from their ways, God is going to judge them. But Jonah, doubting God's goodness, doubting God's goodness to himself, doubting God's goodness towards the people of Israel, decides he's got a better plan. He's not going to listen to God. And so what he's going to do is he's going to flee to a little town called Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, in historians tell us, was the furthest place in the world uh, that Israelites knew of. So he's literally running to the ends of the earth to get away from what God has asked him to do. But God, in his mercy... God, in his pursuit after not only the Ninevites, but also Jonah, throws a massive storm in Jonah's way. And so if Jonah doesn't want to go to the great city of Nineveh, he's going to find himself in a great storm. And, and in light of this, what we learn is we learn a couple of things. We learn some dismay news and we learn some comforting news. And the dismay news is this, that every sin has attached to it a storm. Let me say that again. Every sin has attached to it a storm. Now, we've got to be careful here. What we are not saying is that every storm that comes in your life or every difficulty that comes into your life is a result of a particular sin that you have done. Scripture clearly shows us and indicates to us in the, in the person of Job, a man who was upright and good, someone that God was proud of in the way he lived his life, yet Job suffered horribly. So we know that cannot be the case. So while the Bible tells us that it's not because of every, uh, the Bible tells us not every difficulty is a result of sin, what it is does tell us that every sin brings difficulty. Does that make sense? Every sin brings with it difficulty. Now that might be shocking to some this morning. That might surprise us and bewilder us, and we wonder, how is that possible? Why would that be the case? And I think why that is the case and why we might be bewildered by that is because in our means to try and justify our sinful actions, what we have done is we have downplayed the serious nature of sin. 
that we have made sin in a way to make us feel good about ourselves a small matter rather than seeing it as it really is. And so that might shock us then that God would send a storm or there would be storms attached to sin. But there's a necessity for us then to have a deep clarity of what sin really is. And so firstly, let's look at what the Bible has to say about sin. It first starts off by saying that every single one of us in this room, every person barring Christ that has walked the face of this earth has sin within them. That famous verse in Romans 3 verse 23, for, the, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. Or maybe less famously, we see in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We all have sin. We all have sin deeply entrenched within our hearts. And as a result, what the sin has done is that it has, um, it has uh, defiled our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We have done sinful things. And as we stand before a holy God, who one who is righteous and just and perfect, we find ourselves in a place where we are guilty before him. And that sin deserves punishment. And that punishment that we deserve because of our sin shows us the serious nature of our sin. You know, notice that the punishment of, of sin is not a little slap on the wrists. Depending on your parenting style, it's either a smack on the bum or a timeout in the corner. God isn't going to send us to a timeout because of our sin, but rather, as we see in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages, the punishments of sin is death. Sin is serious. It's got a serious nature to it. But even if you consider the, the pain that sin has already brought us, sin, the, the pain, the disease, the, the suffering that is brought along, strife, quarrels, divisions, envy, jealousy, malice, deceit, fraud, cheating, violence, oppression, robbery, selfishness, unkindness, ingratitude, all of these things are fruits of sin. And that what happens as a result of sin. And so sin is a serious thing. But maybe the, the climax of where we see the, the seriousness of sin is how God had to come and save us and give us forgiveness. Is when we stop for a moment and look at the cross and realize that the Son of God had to leave the glories of heaven, take on human flesh, live as a nobody, treated as a nobody, will then be falsely arrested, falsely trialed, scourged, beaten, mocked and ridiculed, taken up Calvary, nailed to a cross. And on that cross, he would bear your and my sin. And how heavy laden do we feel from our own sin and shame? So hard to carry, so difficult to be able to hold on to. But yet the amazing thing of what Christ carried was he didn't just carry yours and my sin, my friend. He carried everyone's. And it is no wonder then when he's on the cross and that sin is laid on him, he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we stop for a moment and look at the cross, we see the serious nature of sin. It is no wonder then that every sin has a storm attached to it. And, and when we look at the story of Jonah, it seems that in some cases that storm can be immediate. That storm can come really immediately and drastically. And dramatically, Jonah doesn't have much time. He jumps in the boat and he starts heading off to Tarshish, but he doesn't get there when the storm hits. He's on the ocean. God comes after him quickly. And I think sometimes that can be our experience. We can do some sin. We can mess up. We can do badly. And immediately the consequences, we are caught out. It is exposed. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens and we find ourselves in a storm straight away. But I want to say, I don't think that's the norm. 
That's not the normal way this normally goes, but rather it is more like a slow poison that we drink now, but only we see the side effects later on. It takes time to show itself and come through. And I think the danger with that is we don't really realize what we found ourselves in. Because the, the effects of the poison and of the sin only happen at some other point, we think we're okay. We think we've escaped out the other side. But really, actually, the storm is still brewing and is still going to come. And so Tim Keller says these words. He says, um, sin is a suicidal action of the will upon itself. It's like taking a, an addicting drug. You take it, and the first time you do it, it really is a wonderful but the more and more you take it, the harder and harder it becomes and the more to give up and the more damage it does to you. And, and let me give you an example of what that might look like with sin. Let's take the, the example of bitterness, for example. You get wrongly done against. Someone does something awful to you, so you feel bitter. And bitterness in the beginning actually can feel quite good, particularly when you have that argument in the shower with that person. Does anyone else have those? When you're going back and forth in the shower, you always win those arguments. It's amazing. Going back and forth in the shower, feeling justified as you think of the payback and how you're going to win that argument and you're going to stick it to them and they're going to know that they were wrong. And it can feel good in the moment. But after time, what sin does is it creates a greater capacity within us for self-pity. It starts to erode away from us um, the ability to be able to trust and enjoy other relationships. And what it does as well is it takes away, our happiness seems to seep away. I see this particularly with a family member of mine. She's no longer alive. Um, but it was my grandmother who, who was wrongfully sinned against when she was young. Someone who should have been there for her, who wasn't and abandoned her, shouldn't have. Who should have loved her and she was justifiably sinned against. And she had bitterness within her heart. But instead of taking the off route, of confession and taking the off-root ramp of, of forgiveness, she just held on and harbored that bitterness. And I didn't get to see her very often, but when I did get to see her, I noticed that every single year the bitterness grew. Every single year the conversation became more and more about the stuff that had happened in the past. More I saw that that bitterness was affecting her other relationships. And her friendship circle started to become smaller and smaller, and she seemed less and less happy the whole time. Friends, sin in the beginning does not necessarily have a storm that you can see, but it will erode and it will eat you up and destroy you from the inside. And so there's this necessity as a result to avoid the, the hardening of our hearts and sin destroying us. There's this necessity for us to be able to cut sin off. Do you have sin in your heart this morning? Do you have sin that you know of? There's a necessity that we go and we attack it and we get rid of it. Now, don't fool yourself into thinking that a small sin or a private sin is not going to do much damage. No, no, it's still just as dangerous. A small leak in a great ship can still sink the ship. A small spark can still start a great fire. And so the danger is we look at it and go, it's just small, and what happens, we nurture it, it grows bigger and it does great damage. So what we can do, for the example, this morning is we could say we wanted to go get a tree, and we got an oak tree, a little sapling, and we put it outside over there, and we planted it. We put all that we needed to put it there, and it's going to grow. But tomorrow, I decide I don't like it anymore. So I get my two boys. They're not here this morning. One's sick. Uh, but I get my two boys, four and two. And I go and ask them to pull it out. Do you think they could do it? 
100%. They are very destructive. They could easily pull that, that tree out. But let's come back in 30 years' time. And all of us could put our shoulder to that oak tree. And we could push and we could pull, but it's going nowhere. And friends, the same is with sin. The longer we leave it, the longer we nurture it, the deeper its roots go into our hearts, the harder it is for us to remove it. If you at this moment are able to see small sin in your life, it's God's grace that it is still small. And it's a wonderful privilege and opportunity to be able to remove it now than rather fighting and trying to do it when it's grown big. I think many of us in this room would be able to recognize that there are people who were once close to Christ years ago, right there, but decided to put it off. And as the years have gone, and as the decades have gone, they have not grown closer to God, but rather further from him. This idea of putting off Christ to a later point, or or putting off a holy life for a later point, never seems to quite work out. The thief on the cross, for example, is a great illustration of someone leaving the, the, the time to the last moment, isn't it? And it gives us hope that the oldest of all, those who are on their deathbed, can come to know Christ. But I want to remind you that there was another thief on the other cross who got to see Jesus just as much as the other one did, but chose not to. It is a rare thing, my friends, for us to come to Christ in our old age. So the sooner we do it, in this moment now, is a wonderful grace to you. And so I want to say that to us this morning, that God's mercy towards us is amazing. Maybe you're feeling convicted of sin as we even speak about sin. God in his Holy Spirit is coming and putting something on your heart saying, hey, this is a small sin you need to get rid of. Or, hey, this is a big one that you need to cut down. You need to get rid of it. I I want to say that it's God's mercy to you that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And think about it for a moment. The God who's in charge of all of creation, the one that's running this world, has taken time to come to little Glen Eden to come and poke your heart. It's because he loves you. And he wants you to change and he wants you to know him and enjoy him. And so he's coming and poking and probing and saying, hey, sort this out. Get rid of this. This is something that I need to happen. But I've got to, I got to realize, and we've got to realize, and, and I, I want to acknowledge this morning, that there might be some of us here this morning that don't know Christ. Maybe Jesus is, is someone you haven't followed you here because your wife drags you along. Maybe you're here because a friend has invited you. But I want to inform you that Jesus' invitation to you is just the same as it was to us. That you can come to him just as you are, and you can find salvation in him. Now, I know we've been talking about sin and cutting sin off and removing it, etc., etc. But my friend, before you come to Jesus, you don't have to sort yourself out first. You don't have to... Get yourself all cleaned up or pull yourself up from your your bootstraps or make yourself better before he will accept you. No, the beauty of the gospel is in your ugliness and in your sinfulness, he has loved and saved you already. And there's no action that you have to do to earn his love, but rather, as scripture tells us, all we have to do is have faith and believe. It is simply through faith in Jesus Christ that salvation is received. We see this in, in a wonderful verse in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so there's two things here. It says, if you believe in your heart. So that's important. It's not if you believe in your head. If you know in your head. 
It's not because you know all the Sunday school stories. No, that information has seeped down from your head into your heart. And you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. You believe that he is the only way to salvation. You believe that he has died for your sins. And in him and in him alone there is life. Then you will be justified. Then you will be made just as if you had never sinned. That's the glory of the gospel. But not only is it in the heart, it says there, but if you confess with your mouth. And so this truth is something that doesn't just stay inwardly in our hearts, but rather this is a truth that is so true that we can't help but say Jesus is Lord. It results in an action. It results in a change. It results in our our words from our mouth that this is Jesus. He's my my Lord. He's the one who saved me. And, And we're told that if we would do that, then we'll be saved. For those of you who don't know Christ this morning, this is the hope for you. But I also realize, us as Christians, as we speak about sin, what happens is, and maybe I'm just sharing a bit of my own heart, but I also know from those that I've been able to counsel over the years, that what our tendency to do is, when we feel convicted by sin, is our picture of God is such that we think he's upset with us and disgusted and repelled by us, isn't it? That when I feel my sin, I feel, his, I feel like he's looking at me with absolute disdain and disappointment. And, and he's just really repelled by my sinfulness. He doesn't want anything to do with me. And, and the reason why it's important to have the correct view, because if you think that that is God's posture to you, Christian, then what will happen is you'll feel you need to earn your salvation or earn your, his favor back to make it right, to make him not be repelled by you anymore. And so he has a beautiful scripture in, in, um, uh, in the epistle of uh, John's epistle, in 1 John 2 verse 1, sorry. <coughs> it says this, My little children, so you can just hear his heart here, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. That's what we've been speaking about this morning. But if anyone does sin, here it is, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have an advocate with the Father. The word advocate here is the Greek word paraclete. It literally means the one who comes alongside. It's actually a similar word that's used about about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. He he comes alongside us. And and the, the idea of an advocate, of course, is a person who argues a cause for someone legally. And this is beautiful because what it shows us is that when we sin, what Jesus does to the Christian is he doesn't run away. He doesn't see us and move away from us because we're full of sin and and stand away disgusted by us, keeping his distance from us, making sure we realize he doesn't want anything to do with us. That's not his heart. But actually, as a Christian, when we sin, God's heart of mercy and grace to us is that he runs toward us and he comes and stands next to us and says to the Father, this is the one I've died for. This is one is mine. He or she is mine. I am, I am theirs. They, they clean because of me. They, 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 my blood has washed them clean. And so this is such a, such a freeing truth that when we sin and intentionally mess up badly, Christ's love for us is such that he doesn't run away but runs too. And why that is important is because when you are struggling with your sins, friends, the only way you can get rid of your sin is not in your own strength, but with the help of Christ and the Spirit. 
John 15 verse, verse 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it is important that you see Christ is standing next to you as your advocate, champion your cause, because he's also the one that's going to help you get better. He's also going to be the one giving you the strength that you need to be able to produce the fruit that you need. Throw yourself on him. His arms are open. He is for you. Throw yourself on him. Ask him for help. He's not, he's not a, a disappointed headmaster. He's a loving advocate standing next to you, championing your cause. So the main news from this passage is that every sin has a storm attached to it. But there's some comforting news. But before I tell you what the comforting part about it is, is this, that it also, we must realize that the most sins that come into our, most storms that come into our lives on a result of a particular a sin, on a result because of our sin, but because we just live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is fallen and broken by sin, and so we find ourselves caught up in storms that we necess- aren't necessarily because of us. Think of the story this morning. There is Jonah who runs, jumps onto a boat, and a storm comes and hits the boat. It's because of what Jonah has done that storm has been there. But however, there are other men on the boat, and they get caught up in the storm, not because of what they have done. They're just, they just doing their jobs. Heading off to Tarshish, this man who seems nice wants a job. He wants to get there, so we're going to take him. But yet they find themselves with their lives being threatened to. They find themselves in a massive, massive storm. But the comforting news is this, that whether it is because of our sin or whether it is because we find ourselves in a fallen world, God is able to use the storms that we go through for our good. He's able to use them for his glory and for our good. We see that with these pagan sailors. They find themselves on the ship. The ship feels like it's breaking apart. They're tossing the cargo off the ship. They are losing stuff. But yet God in his mercy will bring these pagans to their knees. And once Jonah gets thrown out and the storm gets calmed immediately, they realize that this is the one true God and they serve him. They come to faith. We'll see that in weeks to come. That's a bit of a spoiler alert. But they come to God uses it for their goods. And friends, it is a a similar truth for us. God uses all things that we go through for our good. We see this out throughout other parts of Scripture as well. Consider Abraham. Abraham was a man who was meant was going to become the, the, the father of faith for those who would be faithful to God. Yet God put him through years of wandering aimlessly through the wilderness with what seemingly seemed like unfulfilled promises before Isaac came. It just took forever before Isaac arrived. We consider as well that of Joseph, kind of a bit of a, a spoiled teenager who liked to rub it in his brother's faces, the stuff that he had dreamt about. But yet God would take him through a really rocky road of slavery and imprisonment so that the character and leadership could be de- developed in him so that he could save many, many people. That of Moses as well, considered the most humble man on earth, says Genesis, um, and, and sorry, it says Exodus, and yet he would have to spend 40 years in the wilderness with sheep, looking after sheep. David, who slayed Goliath, but he had had to run away from Saul before he could be the man who would be after God's own heart and the king that every other king would have the standard that they would have to live up to. 
God takes us through rocky roads so that we might, within us, have things worked out of us. While the Bible does not say that every difficulty is a result of sin, it does teach us that for Christians, every difficulty can help us reduce the power of sin over our hearts. It helps us discover truths that we might not have seen because we have gone through storms. It helps us develop love and peace and grace and patience and hope. These things are developed in us. But more so, what it helps us is to understand and see God in a new way. It helps us to see God in a way that we might not have seen, or at least now we know that we know because we had gone through the storm. Think of the disciples. They have found themselves in a very similar situation to that of Jonah, actually. They're on a boat with Jesus. There's a massive storm that arises. It's sinking. It's crumbling. They feel like they're going to die. Instead of Jonah sleeping in the boat, it's Jesus sleeping in the boat. And they go and wake him up and say, Lord, we are perishing. Don't you care? And so Jesus comes out of his slumber and his sleep and he stands up and he says, peace be still. And the creation listens to the voice of his creator. And the howling wind dies down and the raging sea becomes flat. And the response recorded by the disciple uh, in the gospel of Mark, sorry, in Mark and Matthew is this of the disciples. They take a step back and they say, what sort of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Wow. They had seen Jesus heal many people before this event. They had seen Jesus make the lame walk and those who were diseased clean of those diseases. They had seen Jesus cast out demons and have authority over the demonic. And yet they were blown away because of that storm. They got to realize something new about Jesus that day. They learned more about who he was. And may I suggest to you this morning that the storms that we go through in life give us a unique opportunity to know Jesus in a unique way. So Alyssa and I, when we first got married, I was, we didn't earn very much. Uh, Alyssa uh, was an occupational therapist working in private practice. And so uh, that does well sometimes, but she was commission-based. And so sometimes there would be months where that would dry up and it wouldn't be good. And I was an intern at a church, so I earned really nothing. And, uh, and so there were months where we really struggled. And I remember the first, one of the first months that we struggled I was, uh, we had quite a lot of month left, very little uh, food in the fridge left, and no money in the bank left. You know what that kind of month is like? And uh, I uh, s- remember Alyssa and I kneeling down, we had two chairs, uh, an office chair and a green wooden chair. And uh, we were kneeling down, and I just were praying, Lord, and tears, crying, Lord, you need to come through with us. I'm newly married, it's my wife, we've got to provide, like, like Lord, please. And getting up, going to work that day, and coming home, and and opening up my sliding door to the flat that we were in, and the reflection from the sliding door, I saw my landlord behind me, and I turned around and I said, "Hello," and she said, "Oh man, Joe, man, we've just defrosted our deep freeze, and we've got a bunch of steak. Would you like some?" And I, I, I took it calmly and I went, "Yeah, thank you, thanks." <laughs> and I took it inside, closed the doors, the curtains, and then cried like a girl. But over and over through that season of our lives, sometimes in fantastic ways, like someone putting an envelope of 2,000 rand on my desk, or someone opening my bonnet, boot, my boot, sorry, and just packing it with groceries, or someone fixing my car that was broken that we couldn't afford to fix, sometimes really awesome ways, and, and sometimes not as glamorous, 
like someone gave me 60 eggs. We ate a lot of eggs that month, <laughs> a lot of eggs. We also got to have uh, vegetables that were slightly turning, but they were going away, so we got to eat them. But God came through for us over and over again. And I tell you that because before that season, did I know that God was my provider? 100%. I knew it in my head. But going through the storms, I came out the other side going, I know that I know that Jesus provides. I know that I know. Oh, man, he sometimes has to take me through that storm again because how quickly do we forget? But I say that not because I don't want to belittle some of the storms that some of you might be going through or that you have gone through. You might be going through some tough stuff that I can't possibly imagine. But my friends, my, can I just say that your unique storm, how, no matter how difficult it is, gives you a unique opportunity to know Jesus in a unique way. To know him in a way that you would not have known if you do not go through the storm. And what a tragedy it would be that you would go through these storms and come out the other side not knowing Jesus anymore. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for you to know him. Now, why does God allow these to happen? What is his purpose behind it? I can't tell you. Only he knows. And maybe by his grace in years to come, we're able to look back and go, by God's grace, he allowed me to go through that. Jonah had no clue what God was doing. Being chucked overboard and sinking because you can't swim is, is something, and sinking, you don't think God is for you on that moment. He couldn't see God's mercy behind that at the time. Think of the people who watched Jesus dying from a distance. Their friend, their teacher, the one that they put all their trust in, dead on a cross, confused. How is God going to be able to use this? But what the cross teaches us, what Jonah teaches us, is that God is able to take suffering, hopeless situations, and he's able to bring hope and bring life to it. Trust him, for he's for you, he's with you, and he's doing something. But as we sung this morning, his goodness follows us all the days of our lives. Even through the valleys of the shadow of death, he is with us. I want to end with this wonderful hymn by a guy named William Coper. It says this, God moves in mysterious ways is the name of it. It says this. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea, he rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds he so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose, will ripe, his purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may, may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful that life storms that come our way are storms that you have complete control of. You are the ruler of storms. And none of them have caught you off guards. And our difficulties that we go through, you are able to use for your glory and our goods. 
And I want to pray fresh courage for us this morning, that you would help us to be a people that stand firm in light of who you are, and that there would be a solidity to our faith because you are good. And those storms might rock us and we might feel unsettled. May we stand, may we stand firm on the foundation that Jesus Christ is for us. But Lord, I pray as well that you would help us this morning to be a people that takes seriously this pursuit of going after you. That we would get rid of sin that hinders us from doing that. That we would be a people that pursue after holiness and a life that glorifies Christ. But we can't do this ourselves. We pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.